Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. So tonight I want to, uh, we have been in actually a three-week series upstairs on Wednesday nights on passion. And uh, with teens, uh, being a youth pastor, uh, a lot of my job is learning to direct and funnel and, um, what's the word I'm looking for, Uh, deal with passion. Uh, Teenagers are just passionate people. And usually that passion has no direction, no focus, no aim, no place. It's just, they're just passion and they're just crazy. And that usually gets them in lots of trouble. So uh, for three weeks now, we've been dealing with passion, just the the ins and outs of it and how it relates to us and the biblical view of it. And tonight I want to deal with passion also, even here in the adult class. Uh, And I'm just believing the Holy Spirit will take it and spin it to work for us in here tonight. Uh, So first, I want to start with the definition of passion. Passion is a strong and barely controllable emotion. Uh, I love that definition. It was my favorite one of them all. Uh, So uh, we're going to start in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not used to people taking notes on Wednesday nights. This is totally different. Passion is a strong and barely controllable emotion. We all know the story in Revelations chapter 2 where he's writing the letters to all the different churches. And he gets to a church and he brags on them for a while, talks about all the awesome things they're doing, and then ends with this one note. Nevertheless, even though you're doing all this great stuff and I'm proud of you for it, I'm not mad at you, I'm not condemning you. He said there's one thing. There's one thing that's missing and it's that you've left your first love. And as I begin to search this out and look at this word, I found out that that this love is dealing with their passion. It wasn't that they didn't love Jesus, and it wasn't that they didn't love the things they were doing. It was the, it was the what's the word I'm looking for? The expression of or the driving force behind that love. So he said, there's one thing about this. You've strayed away from something, and you've strayed away from the passion you had when you started. See, a lot of times, even, even me, I mean, I've been in ministry now for, I don't know what, Courtney, six years or so, something like that. And, and there's even times where you can look back and remember, man, when I first got saved and I was so in love with Jesus and I was so driven by everything he did, I would just talk to anybody and I was constantly looking for opportunities to do things and be involved in things and, and speak to people and just all this stuff just driving. But there's just something about time that becomes the greatest enemy to passion. Time always creeps in and begins to to work on us and deal with us. And this passion that we started with, we find ourselves so many times like the church he's writing to in Revelation chapter 2. And he's saying, I'm really proud of you and I love everything you're doing. I just miss miss the passion. You're a lot smarter now than you were when you started. and, And you have a lot more things going for you than you did when you started. But... I think I would rather have the less trained version of you and have the more passionate version of you. I know for me personally, uh, playing basketball in high school, uh, I was captain of the team uh, at least one year, probably my senior year, I guess. And, And anyway, as captain of the team, I remember it was one thing that I preached constantly into my teammates all the time. All the time was, if you don't come on this court with a passion to win, 
then there's the bench. I don't care if you're less talented. I don't care if you know all the plays like everyone else. I just want someone on the court whose passion is to win the game. And so I feel like God is talking to his church in this moment and he's saying, you're still doing all the right things and and you know the plays by heart and you can quote the moves and, and you know when to be here and when to be there and you know when to say this and when to say that. But what I really want is just someone driven by that passion to win. You know, there was a time in the New Testament uh, where I think it's Peter and, and one of the other guys, anyway, they're, they're getting in trouble for all the stuff they've been doing. They've been so bold. They've been speaking out. They've been doing so many things. And the Bible literally says in, in Acts, I think maybe chapter 4, it says, knowing that they were untrained and uneducated, because of their boldness, they knew they had been with Jesus. So it wasn't about how much they had known. It wasn't what they had acquired. It wasn't what they had come up with. It was just the passion in them that was driving them to do the things they were doing. Crazy thing about that story is right after that happens and they get in all this trouble for being so bold is when he turns around and prays the prayer, God grant me boldness. Uh, So it's just a coming back to that passion, that place we were at the beginning. But what I love about Revelations 2 and 4 is that God is never condemning in any of this. He didn't show up on the scene and say, I'm so mad at you because you're not like you used to be. I'm so upset with you because you're not doing things. No, first he built them up and he said, you're doing this right. And he goes through a list and just names all these things that's going on that's happening right. Then he says, there is this one thing that you've lost this passion. You've stepped away from the way you used to express your love. And then he even turns around and says, now there's some things you can do to bring this back. There's some things you can do to get back to the place you were at before. There's some things, in other words, it's not too late to begin to live in that passion again. It's not too late to turn back and be just as passionate as we were when we started. The awesome thing is, uh, I wish I'd have pulled the scripture up now and looked at it. Uh, The awesome thing is, he says, what you can do is remember what it was like when you started. So sometimes it takes us stopping and remembering what was it that had me so passionate when I first started this thing. He said, remember what it was like. Then he says, repent. And repent is not something we say, it's something we do. Repent is a changing of our mind. It's a changing of the way we think. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do what you used to do. See, too many times we get caught in a place and we find ourselves without this passion. And we're just thinking, man, I just don't even know. I don't, I'm just not committed to it like I used to be. I'm not passionate like I used to be. Well, now that you've realized that, start doing what you did when you were passionate. It's not a crazy formula. It's not something super spiritual that we have to figure out. It's simply, let's go back and do what we were doing when we were so passionate. Or else I come quickly and remove the lampstand. See, it's easy to read this as God is saying, if you don't do this, this is what I'm going to do. But in reality, God is saying, in other words, the lampstand's still there. You still have the ability to burn. You still have the ability to have passion. It's still available. It's still there. So, so, so if we found ourselves in this place where our passion has become lacking and we're not stirred, motivated, and moved in the ministry, and in our relationship with Jesus, and in the sharing of our faith, and all these things that used to drive us and motivate us, and just, we used to burn for these things. When I think of this passion, I think of Jeremiah. You know, we always pump Jeremiah up because of the, it was like a fire shut of my bones, and then he spoke these awesome prophecies. But if you read the scripture in context, he actually didn't want to say anything. 
He actually wanted to keep his mouth shut and he wasn't going to speak and he wasn't going to do anything. But he was so passionate. It became something in him that he couldn't keep his mouth shut. When's the last time we were so passionate I couldn't keep my mouth shut about Jesus? But have we, have we so drifted from a passion that we had that more times than not, I just keep my mouth shut because there's not enough burning within me for me to open it? Have, have, we, have we lost a passion? In the New Testament, there's a scripture that says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Fervent is passionate, hot, burning. See, here's the quickest way to judge where your passion's at. Your prayer will let you know. If your prayer is no longer fervent, you're no longer passionate. If you're no longer burning in the prayer closet, you're not burning in public. If we're not fervent and passionate in our alone time with Him, we'll never be fervent, fervent and passionate in our, our, our public time with each other. So God's asking, what happened to it? What, where did this passion go? Where did this passion go that just had you doing things that you didn't even really know why? And if people would have asked you questions, you wouldn't have had the answers. But just because you were so passionate, you had to say something. You had to step out and do something. You had to move in some way, somehow. You had to let someone know. See, here's the thing about passion, though, is passion has to be tied directly to something productive or it can become dangerous. If we don't learn to connect our passion to the thing, the calling, the purpose, the place that He has put us, then that passion is going to go somewhere. So if He's saying, your passion, your first love for me has left, that means that passion has been placed somewhere else. Because here's the thing, you can set aside your purpose and you can set aside your calling, but you can't set aside your passion. That passion has to go somewhere. So what we see a lot of times, what we hear, what we hear people call a midlife crisis, is when someone has set their purpose, their calling, their, 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 their gift aside, so that passion has to go somewhere. And it'll go into a relationship that they shouldn't be in, or a new sports car, or a motorcycle, or whatever you want to call it. And these things are not bad if they're in the proper place. But when they're the place that I'm channeling my passion, then God is saying, wait, what happened, what happened to the first love? What happened to the passion that, that we started with? And Jesus is the perfect example of knowing purpose, fueling it with passion, and making it effective. And I want to show you that in John chapter 2. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and I've preached it. Inside and out, I guess. It says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, poured out the changers' money, overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these away. Do not make my, my father's house a house of merchandise. Then the disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Now, if you're not paying attention to the context of the life of Jesus, you will think that he acted out of emotion and he randomly had an outburst that caused him to do something that was outside of his nature because we always see his nature as the little lamb and he's meek and he doesn't want to harm or, or hurt anyone's feeling he doesn't want to offend you so then you take this scripture in John chapter 2 and you put it in the midst of that and it feels like he's acting out of character 
But the only reason it seems out of character is if you don't understand his purpose. And the last scripture here is what wraps up the entirety of what he's doing. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So what is the definition of zeal? I'll take my time because now I know some of y'all are taking notes. Zeal, a great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause. Great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause. So Jesus said, there is an energy and enthusiasm, a barely controllable emotion that we would call passion that I have placed in pursuit of a specific cause. And because I've become so zealous, so passionate, so geared, so directed to this specific cause, it's caused me to react in this way that we're reading about. I mean, you have to really understand what took place here. Jesus sat outside the temple long enough to braid a whip. He knew what he was going to use that whip for. He knew that when he got done braiding the whip, he was going into the temple to run everybody out, and he was going to flip over the tables, pour out their money, run animals all over the place and out of there, and it was going to be total chaos in this moment that would appear to be outside of his nature and his character. But his nature and his character were directly tied to his specific cause. And the cause warranted the action. See, when we don't know our cause and we can't put our passion to that cause, then things we do seem out of nature and out of character. When in reality, if we, like Jesus, knew how to take the passion that he's given us, place it into the specific call that he has given us, then we would begin to react on the level it took to accomplish what needs to be done. See, in a lot of ways, we're not acting in ways that meet the demand of what has to be done. And when we're not meeting the demand, it's because we're not passionate about the cause. When we become passionate about something being changed and made different, then we begin to react on a level that is equal to the thing that needs to be changed. This is what bothers me about people who complain about our community but don't get in it. If you're not going to take actions that may seem radical to deal with the thing that you think is a problem, then move over and let somebody that has passion do it. See, no one else could complain about the temple because no one else was willing to do what Jesus did. No one else was willing to go to the extreme measures it took. And it would take somebody so passionate about God's house to go in and do what Jesus got through doing. So your reaction will be the, what's the word I'm looking for? Your reaction will be the barometer for your passion. You can tell me you're passionate about people getting saved all day long. But if you're not talking to people and creating opportunities for them to be saved, then your passion is telling a different story. Jesus said, I have a zeal for the house of God. And then he proved it because he was passionate. 
See, we're passionate about something, and we, like Jesus, need to figure out what that specific cause is and go to whatever measure, whatever means necessary to become effective in that cause. He used strong emotion in pursuit of his cause. That cause was that it would be the way God intended it to be. So we see the temple is not operating the way God designed it to operate. So Jesus' cause, his purpose in that moment became, I will do whatever necessary to make this operate the way God designed it to operate. We're talking about the temple of God. So Jesus' passion was applied to his purpose and he became zealous. See, you can have passion and not be zealous because zeal is targeted at something specific. Zeal gives passion a target to hit. So I don't need loose cannons running around saying they're full of passion. What we need is zealous people who have a target, who have a goal, who have a mission, and their passion is backing up the means necessary to accomplish this mission, this desire, this goal. Yeah, it's Benny talked about it, it, it in, in a way it burns you out or, or it becomes, you know, like you said, you get, then you're on edge and what about this? And you begin to analyze everything and, and I begin to think about that. And, and one of the things that, that rids us of our passion so quickly is putting our passion into the wrong one of not taking the time to say, okay, God, what is, because it's all about the zeal side of it. It has to be a specific target. It has to be the call, the cause, the purpose that he's placed you in. Your, your passion has to be tied to your purpose, or like you said, you'll be passionate about something for a while, then you're burnt out, and because you burn out on something that wasn't your purpose, then you're scared to step out into anything else, and then you end up missing your purpose. And I'm glad you brought that up, because that leads me into my next point, which was that your passion has to be tied to your, or how, let, let me word this correctly. Your passion needs your purpose. And just like that, your purpose needs your passion. Let me give you the definition of purpose. I'm I'm a definition freak, so I'm sorry. I just, I like that kind of stuff. Passion is the reason for which something is done or created. Purpose. Yeah, thank you, Kamal. Purpose, the reason for which something is done or created. The The simple definition, the reason for which something exists. When you find yourself pouring your passion into your purpose, when you're doing the reason you were created, the reason you exist, and your passion is motivating that, then you become like the story we just read of Jesus, where it doesn't seem, it doesn't matter how out of the box it may seem. It doesn't matter how out of my character it may seem. It may not, I don't care what everyone else around me is saying and doing at the moment. I've found my purpose and I'm supplying it with passion, and it has to be effective. It's the design that Jesus laid out for us, and if we follow his design, we get his results. The temple had become full of compromise. It had become full of the easy way out. It had become full of a place that required no passion. 
You didn't have to be passionate about anything. You could show up at the temple, buy your offering, turn around and give it to the priest and be done. Never have to think about it, care about it, or work for it. It took no passion. So Jesus showed up and said, I will not sit by and allow my father's house to be a house with no passion. So he goes passionate. Let's put it that way. So Jesus, being zealous, knowing his purpose, and fueling it with passion, set the temple back in order the way it was designed to be. See, it's crazy because there's a peace that you only find in your purpose. Like we mentioned a while ago, sometimes we'll put our passion into things that right now, according to my feelings feels like where I'm supposed to be. But when it's not my purpose, I don't find peace in it. So you may be asking, well, how do I know when I'm in my purpose? When you have peace. I didn't say when the circumstances were like you wanted them. I just said when you had peace. Because you can be in your purpose and be in the middle of a storm. But purpose brings peace to your storm. Purpose brings peace to wherever you find yourself at in the moment. So we have to be careful that when we hear a word like this or we read a scripture like Revelations 2 and 4 and we're thinking, oh, i got to be passionate. God's going to be upset with me because I, I haven't been talking to enough people and I haven't been doing this and I haven't been doing that. And we come up with this crazy idea that today I'm going to talk to 500 people. Okay, that's a little exaggerative. Today I'm going to talk to five people. And at the end of the day, you talk to three people. Well, because you put your passion into something that was driven by your feelings, all of a sudden now, oh, well, I didn't get it. And then we're condemned, and then we're burnt out, and then we're, oh, I didn't reach my goal, and I didn't do this. And it's because we misplaced that passion into something. When you woke up that morning, did God tell you, talk to five people today? Did that become your purpose, your reason for existing in the moment? Or did my desire to prove something to Him or impress him, cause me to put passion somewhere it shouldn't be. And our misplaced passion will kill our purpose. For example, King David. I think it's safe to say without a stretch of the imagination, he was a passionate man. One of the most passionate. To me, one of the greatest people we read about in the Bible. My favorite probably in the Old Testament. But we see this man so full of passion, he's so full of passion that when he figures out what he's supposed to be doing at that moment, he's willing to take on a lion and a bear to save some sheep. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I don't like sheep that much. And when a lion runs out, them sheep gone because I'm gone. (laughs) Ain't no sheep out running me when there's a lion. You feel me? But David knew his purpose. And when he knew his purpose... He applied his passion, and his passion had him wrestling a bear. See, but you keep following David, and this passion leads him into being king, and it leads him into conquering more territory than anybody thought possible. And all of a sudden, he finds himself in a moment where his purpose is the battle. His purpose is taking territory. His purpose is advancing his kingdom. That's his purpose. And when he applies his passion to it, No one's better than him. 
As a matter of fact, he's so good at it and he's so passionate. Men that are the best at what they do in battle start surrounding him and they become the guys he hangs out with. Well, all of a sudden, we find David, a passionate man, setting his purpose aside. And the army gets ready to go to battle and David says, you know what, I'm going to set this one out, guys. So all of a sudden, he had begun to lose some passion for his purpose. And his purpose was to be on the battlefield. So David says, guys, you can go on without me. He finds himself on a roof hanging out in the top of his mansion, castle, whatever they had back then. And sees this beautiful woman on top of her house bathing. Well, see, you can set aside your purpose, but you can't set aside your passion. So when he removed his purpose, his passion had to go somewhere. So his passion makes its way to the beautiful woman. So you begin to see that passion without purpose becomes dangerous. Because when I'm not applying my passion to my purpose, I could be applying it to anyone else or anything else. So David finds himself misplacing his passion. That passion gets placed somewhere else and it results in death. When we misplace our passion outside of our purpose, something dies. Something gets hurt. Something gets misused. So we have to understand the importance of our purpose, the importance of my existence. Why was I created? What am I to do in this moment? And I say in this moment because even if we just took David's life, his purpose when we first come on the scene is to be, to, to be a shepherd. He's just taking care of sheep. Then after a while, because he's passionate and he does it as good as he can, God says, you know what? I'm going to transition you into another purpose. And this purpose is going to be a little bit higher. This purpose is going to come with some rank. This purpose is going to come with some pool. See, I feel like a lot of times we have people who have been in ministry or in the church or been saved for a long time and they're questioning God. Why don't I have more rank? Why don't I have more pool? Why haven't I moved up, so to speak? See, David only moved up when he was passionate for the purpose he was in. And if you're not passionate for the purpose God has you in right now, how would he trust you to move you to another purpose? A greater purpose, a bigger purpose. I remember just for me personally, I remember at a time when literally I was showing up on Wednesday nights for one student, Taylor Travis. And she was just here because her parents came. She didn't have a choice. No, she was knowing Taylor, she was here because she loved Jesus. Because it wasn't for me. But I remember coming those Wednesday nights and I thought so many times, I'm, why even show up? I was sitting at home thinking, I hope Taylor calls and says she's sick so I can stay home tonight. I'm just being honest with you guys. And I remember those moments. And it was stories like this of David that would come to my remembrance. And I'd be sitting there thinking, trying to come up with an excuse to get out of that night. And God would remind me, remember how David was when he took care of the sheep? Even though it was just sheep and nobody seen it and nobody knew it. Nobody knew I was in the back with one student. Nobody knew the hours and hours of preparation throughout the week that I was making to sit down and just talk to that one student. He said, but remember David. And when David kept putting his passion into it, into his purpose, guess what? I gave him a bigger purpose. Well, this, has, this is not to give me glory at all. But right now, 
if you go up to the youth room, except for those two, (laughs) right now, if you go up into our youth room, you'll probably count about 60 students that are in our youth group that are here to 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 be poured into to be to be ministered to to whatever it is whatever their their reason may be but God just began to show me in so many areas that until I'm passionate for where I'm at he can't trust me for where I'm going so I believe that when God was talking to the church in, in Revelation chapter 2, He wasn't mad at them because they had lost their passion. He was, he was saying, there's something so much greater. There, there's another level of purpose that's so much greater than where you're at right now. But if you lose the passion, you, you'll never get there. You'll never get to that level. You'll never get to that place without being passionate for the place that you're in. We have to understand the importance of the place that we have been put in and quit putting all the emphasis on stage ministry and, and, and titles and statuses. What if your ministry is your job where you're at right now and God is saying if you want a better job, maybe if you were passionate for me in this job, I could bless you with something better. Maybe I could move you into another place. Maybe I could move you up in position. Whatever that may be. But the whole time we're just, oh, I'm just here. I'm just surviving. One thing I hate, one thing I hate to hear, because I have a bad habit. I guess it's in the South. We don't really say hi. We say, how are you? Or how's it going? Like, we don't just hello people. You know what I mean? So I'm constantly doing that when I'm in the town. And most of the time, most of the response I get is, I'm getting by. I just want to be like, I feel so sorry for you. Is that your life? You just survive? And, and, but we have to understand that we have been placed specifically wherever we may be at because that's the position God has put us in. And when I become passionate for Him in that position, only then can He become effective in that position. Jesus had to go to whatever means necessary to become effective in the temple. What makes us think we get to do it differently. If Jesus had to go in and turn over tables and kick a goat and run people out of the temple, what makes me think that me showing up to my job in a bad attitude and keeping my mouth shut all day and never doing anything and never blessing anyone, what makes me think that my presence is going to become effective in that area? Have we lost our passion Have we found ourselves where God is asking, what happened to that first love? What happened to that passion that had you up an hour before work praying and studying? What happened to that passion that had you sacrificing time to be prepared and ready? What happened to that passion that wouldn't let a need go by? That if somebody brought something up, you were saying, let's pray for it. Not, oh yeah, we'll we'll pray for you. I'm just dealing with things that God's been dealing with me about, all right? Because he has been convicting me so hard on the whole. Yeah, we'll pray for you. No, you won't. (laughs) Go ahead.
Man, that's so good. And it, and it takes that passion. I mean, you think about these guys that were willing to go out and take the chance of trading it with someone or investing it into all these things. They had to be passionate about getting that return. You know what I mean? They had to be passionate about making it work for this to work out for them. And because of it, not only that, but he takes the one that had one and gives it to the one that multiplied it the most. And, and when you begin to see it from these areas and from this, this point of view, that God is sitting in heaven, I believe, asking so many Christians today, what happened to that passion? Why are you just holding, why are you burying it in the dirt just hoping you got it when he comes back? What happened to the passion that was moving us forward? We're always saying Jesus was the example. Jesus was the example. Really? Well, Jesus was moved with compassion. He didn't just love people. He was moved with compassion. See, there's a difference. Because we're all about the love God and love people, and we do love people. But when we're passionate for people, it makes me move. So, I guess... Where is my passion? It's found in my movement. And if I'm not moving, I must not be passionate. Wow, that, that was good. Thank you, Holy Spirit. As a matter, go ahead. Yeah. That's such a good point. You know, I feel like sometimes we do get too sidetracked with the big, what we consider, the big things of the big prayers with the awesome healings. And, and I love all that stuff. But when you come all the way back to it, still the greatest miracle is salvation. And salvation is not going to come without what she said, the gospel. Have we, have, have, we, have we lost the passion for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? Are we still moved and motivated by this good news? Is this still what moves me in the morning and motivates me every day? Is this what excites me? Is this where my passion's at? That's so good. As a matter of fact, we see that in the Scripture. You know, there's one time where Jesus comes up to a man that's supposed to be healed, and instead of saying, you're healed, he says, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees just flip out. They're like, oh my God, who is this that could forgive sin? And it's such a huge deal. Well, then he flips it around and says, well, okay, I'll say your sins, you're, 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 you're healed or whatever. And they're just like, okay, yeah. To them, a prophet could heal someone. A prophet, you know what I mean? So not to belittle healing, that's not my goal at all, but it's to re-elevate, so to speak, the power of salvation of the gospel. 
that the big miracle is the salvation. And until we become passionate and we begin to present the gospel in our community again, and we begin to live this thing passionately in front of people, how can we expect to see that salvation? I, dealing with this generation that's coming up right now, they are an extremely passionate generation. I don't know how else to put that. And, and I don't mean to say that any of you weren't or aren't. or That's not my goal. But what I'm just saying is I'm seeing that now. And because they're so passionate, they're being introduced to a church that lacks passion. And because of it, they're turned off immediately. And if it's not something that's being driven with passion, it's not something that's going to pull them in. So until the church becomes passionate, and I mean real passion, passion that shows up on my job and passion that shows up in the school and passion that shows up at the gas station, those types of passion that, that everywhere we are, until that type of passion is restored back to the church, this generation is fleeting. And I'm just being honest because this is the generation that I deal with in ministry. And the crazy thing about them and about anyone is you can read passion from a mile away. If someone is truly passionate about it, you know it. And if they're not, you know that. And this is where we found ourselves. I, 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 I want to wrap this up with this, this understanding of what's taking place in this story that we're kind of basing everything out of here with Jesus' zeal and his passion and what he's doing. So if you read on down in the story, you understand that, that he, tell, he goes in and he destroys this, I say destroy, he, he, he tears up this natural temple. And they come to him and they ask him, what are you trying to prove? Like, what sign are you trying to give us that you do this? And he said, if you destroy this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. So we know by knowing the Bible, and if you read on down, I think it's verse 21. Did I give you that one? Uh, John 2 and 21. In this, he says, they say, what are you trying to prove? And he says that. And then, it, then they say, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. So what I want you to understand, all the zealous, passionate, the, everything he just did in the temple was really him demonstrating how he feels about his body. Who is his body? We are. So Jesus was demonstrating in a natural temple the passion and zeal he had for the body that was fixing to be created after the cross. So what's taking place here, and we even see in 1 Corinthians 3.16, says, uh, tells us that we are the temple of God. So everything that was happening here was the picture of how zealous Jesus was for the people. This is how passionate he was for us, for the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, Colby's doing the, the week tonight, uh, me and him are, are doing this series together of passion, and he's using John 3.16. And that's normally not a scripture you would pull up when you're just teaching on passion unless you see it from the right point of view. Because we learned in Revelations that love was equivalent to passion. So if you took passion and put it in John 3.16, you would understand that God was so passionate about the world that he gave his son. So if that's the understanding that your passion will be proven by what you give, will you give yourself to that moment? Will you give your money to that person? Will you give your whatever it may be, your time, whatever it is, you begin to understand this picture. So, so when you see that he was actually dealing with the temple, which is the body of Christ, then you understand John 3.16, that God was so passionate about the people 
Jesus was so passionate. And if this is how passionate he was about the people and about the temple, and I am the temple, am I that passionate about this temple? Because remember, the thing that had Jesus so messed up was it had become full of compromise and it lacked passion. So when my temple, me, Josh, if I find myself in compromise and lacking passion, do I become as zealous as Jesus did to line it back out? Do I become as zealous as Jesus, as driven, as passionate to make sure that it's operating the way God designed it to operate? Because God designed it to operate like Jesus operated. He designed it to operate as a reflection of heaven. But have I, become, have I lost so much passion that I'm okay with not operating the way He designed me to operate? Have we, have we lost so much passion that I'm okay if I just make it to heaven one day? Or am I still passionate enough that when I say a prayer and they don't get healed, I don't build a theology around it. I go to God and say, what went wrong? Because according to Scripture, all got healed. According to Scripture, there was no exemptions. There was no maybe this. And the Bible says that God gave Jesus all authority. That means someone has no authority. You know who that someone is? The devil. So we have to quit giving him so much authority by building theologies around unanswered prayers and start going to a place that we're passionate enough to get the prayer answered. For me personally, God has just been restoring a passion in me to operate in the way that Jesus made available. Because not only did he say that all authority was given to Jesus, but Jesus turned around and gave all that authority to us. But when we don't have the passion driving the purpose, we become okay with okay. And good is the enemy of great. So we've found ourselves in a place where I believe God is saying, Where's the passion? He's not mad. I love, to, I love that God doesn't react the way we react. He's not, he's not sitting in heaven saying, you slacker. I gave you everything. And this is, you know what I mean? Kind of a buy you books and send you to school kind of deal. You know what I mean? And steal. But no, you know what he did? He started saying, man, I love that you can still tell when somebody's not being truthful. I love that you still give to the poor. I love that you're still investing into your community. I love that you're doing all these things. And then he goes into, now, what about the passion? If you could just do all those things that I named and back that with a passion, oh my gosh, it would become so effective. See, because if I remember right, any of you Bible scholars, correct me if I'm wrong, he's talking to the church in Ephesus when this, when the, is that right? Is this the church he's talking to? Or is it Laodicea? One of those two. But they were a booming town. I'm pretty sure it was Ephesus. They were a port town. So everything that got delivered came to that town and everybody would have to come there to get it. They would have to come there. So it was growing. It was booming. It was just, it was the place to be. It was like the New York City of their time. So it was just this spot. Well, in the middle of all that growth and all that excitement, all that stuff going on, revival breaks out. 
everybody's getting saved. So there's all the growth. There's all the things happening. People coming in this town. People are getting saved like crazy. Jesus is being exalted. All this stuff. So ministry is just growing like crazy. And people are doing and working. And they're having to get more people on board to take care of this ministry. And that. And all this stuff is taking place. So all the things are rolling the way they're supposed to go. But in the moment of all that happening and staying on with logistics and keeping everything in order, something began to fade. And they just begin to do things out of memory. And they begin to do things because they know how to do it. And God shows up and says, look, all these things are great. But if you're just doing things because you know how to do it, we've missed, we've missed the purpose. You're set up for, a, you're the prime place for me to be exalted and just explode into the world. He said, but you got to have some passion. So tonight, I, I, I guess I just wanted to stop by and, and remind us all that sometimes I feel like we need to stop and say, am I doing this because I know how to do it? Or am I still driven for this? Am I passionate about this? If God wrote us a letter, would he ask us the same question? He was writing letters to these seven churches. If he wrote a letter to Life Church tonight, would he have to say, nevertheless, I have this thing against you? If he wrote it to you personally, would that be his, his cry? But I don't want you to leave here with any type of condemning mindset because this is not a condemning scripture. This is a celebratory scripture. This is God saying it's not too late and it's not over. You can restore this passion and you can become effective. We just have to follow the model that was laid out before us. And Jesus modeled it perfectly. So let's stir up some passion. Remember he said, go back and do your first works over again. Go back and do the things that, that you were doing when you were passionate and you were driven and you were going. Let's go back and do those things. Let's repent for letting it fade and say, God, I'm going to turn from that. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to remember what it was like when I was passionate and that's what I'm going for. And I'm not going to settle for anything less than that. We have awesome opportunities in this church with soup kitchens and things we do in the community. I mean, there's just so much going on here. And there's so many opportunities to be effective but to be effective in those opportunities, they have to be fueled with passion. If you're standing at the door shaking hands, I want you to do it with passion. If you're showing up and serving food at a soup kitchen, serve it with passion. If you're taking care of 40 kids on Sunday morning, God bless you that do that. Whew, do it with passion and keep doing it so I don't have to. But wherever you find yourself, wherever you're at, if you're pumping gas and someone's across the pump from you, be passionate. Right, exactly. I mean, my hands are not passionate about walking, but I don't get mad at my hands. You know what I mean? That's the understanding. And that's such a good point because I feel like a lot of times we do that. We get passionate about something and we feel like everybody else should be too. You know what I mean? But it's not that way in the natural and it's not that way in the spiritual. In other words, I don't expect all you to be as passionate about the Cowboys as I am. I mean, eight and one, we're wrecking shop, you know, whatever. I mean, I don't see those haters nowhere no more, but, but anyway. But anyway, but I don't show up and get mad at you because you're a Saints fan. That would be, that would be me saying, I don't respect 
your culture. I don't respect your upbringing. You know what I'm saying? That's really what it's like if you bring it down. So if you take that and put it into the spiritual, to be mad at someone because they're not passionate about what you're passionate about is to disrespect their culture and their, their what's the word I'm looking for? Their personality, their makeup, how God designed them. That's such a good point. Benny, thank you for bringing that up, actually. That's not a damper. That's a very good point that we need. Don't, don't be upset because they're not. Learn to celebrate their passion. If that's what you're passionate about, I'll celebrate you in it. You know what I mean? Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.